2020 brought us COVID. 17 out of 100 people in America have been infected. One in a thousand have died. That's a mess. 2020 has been jarring. It's left us jaded, wounded, and some of us fearful. Into 2021 we come. No one knows what this year will bring forth. Who last January 3rd anticipated what would unfold this year, in this past year in 2020? What about this year? What can we count on? Of all things to take our cue from, for what we could count on, let's go to the heart of a funeral message in the Bible. Come with me to Lamentations chapter 3 in the Old Testament. This is Jeremiah. He preaches a message for Jerusalem for the ragtag group that were left there in the midst of the ruins, smoldering ruins that the Babylonians had brought as they brought their iron fist down against Israel. It's a lament. It's called Lamentations. It's five chapters long. The center of the message is what we'll be looking at. By the way, one thing I would encourage you to do is tonight, and maybe one other time this week, if not more, come back to Lamentations 3 and read slowly the whole chapter. We're going to be mining gold out of this chapter uh, in various places. Put it all together. Come back to it. Read it later. Jerusalem, the city of David, home to the temple, home to the holiest of holies, home to the Ark of the Covenant, home to the shining, the local manifestation of the presence and glory of God. All of Jerusalem is torn down. The walls, the temple, everything. It's a terrible moment. And I want to build a foundation for this new year that breaks out in the midst of this tough moment. I want to go three different directions. First, I want to describe how life is. Secondly, and point two, I want us to talk about our greatest struggle. Our greatest struggle is in our minds. If you want to know the theater of war this year, it's right here. And if we steward that theater well, we are going to have a great year, come what may. Thirdly, the third point, I want us to steward our hearts well. And this chapter will help. It is the maintenance of our mind and the stewardship of our heart that shape how we live. Number one, life in a broken world is messy and a battle. Even as I scan the crowd and think of what some of you went through last year, I think of how it's messy in a battle. Think of what this was like for the Jewish people. These are Abraham's children. This is David's city. It's utterly destroyed. The effect that that would have upon the Jewish psyche was great. One commentator said this. What must have been on their minds imagining? 
What shall we say about the loss of the Messianic office and the exile of the Davidic king Zedekiah? Babylon took him back home. What shall we say about the loss of God's inheritance, his place of rest, namely the land of Israel? What shall we say about the charred ruins of the former dwelling of the glory of God, ruins which now stood hideously against the skyline as a mute witness to the absence of God from their midst? What shall we say about the passing away of almost every avenue for atonement, reconciliation, and worship of God? For gone were not only the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and the Shekinah glory, but gone also were the priests, the altar, the altar of incense, the candlestick, the table of the bread of presence, the festivals, the evening and morning sacrifice, and so much more. Had God totally forsaken his everlasting word of promise? And could he now... Give up on ever providing salvation, not only for Israel, but for all the nations of the earth. The Babylonians appeared for the moment to be the Grinches who stole not only Christmas, but Easter. Certainly no one could say otherwise, given the present calamity and the course that the everlasting promise, and of course the everlasting promise to the contrary. 2020 reshaped many of our views of life. And it wasn't a reshaping in a positive direction. It became more dark. Uh, a turn down of a downward revision of our look at life. It is reminiscent of what's in the spirit of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 3, 17, 18, and 19. Notice what he says. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Verse 17, I, I, I am bereft of peace. That's the word that shows up in verse 31 in this chapter, for the Lord will not cast off. It's the same verb forever. Uh, it's a word that shows up in chapter 2 and verse 7, scorn. So his soul has been scorned with the absence of peace. Uh, peace has been cast off. He's bereft of peace. There's no peace. There's anxiety. Yes, peace, no. And coming into this year isn't that characteristic of many. He says, I've forgotten what happiness is. It's the word for good. Uh, what is good I, I've forgotten what good is I've forgotten what happiness is there's lots that we do not understand about COVID-19 thank God for the professionals who've been on the forefront and who've broken their necks all year in this work uh, and every week as it were clinically we understand more and gaining more understanding there's still many mysteries and many things we do not know, but one thing that we observe in some, and we're not able to discern why it is in some and not in others, but in some, COVID takes a bad turn and it just really deeply messes up a person's immune system. Uh, it makes hash out of what formerly worked that begins to break up and break down. It dismantles the immune system. Well, life can do that to our spirit. 
And some of us come into 2021 and we feel like, you know what? I feel like somebody took a rototiller, stuck it underneath my ribs, turned it on, and churned it up for about six months. And now I come in and, and, and I just feel different about life. I am bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. Verse 18, my endurance has perished. Then think of that line from that song, he giveth more grace, when we have exhausted our store of endurance. Is anybody there? Does anybody look down at the digital readout for endurance and say, wow, I'm running on low ebb. My endurance, verse 18, has perished, so has my hope. That describes a person who's ready to quit and who's without hope. That's a tough place to be. In 2020 brought many of us to that. Verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. All Jeremiah could remember was the bitterness of this experience. His mind was fixated on the bitterness of it all. What's on his mind? God, remember my affliction, wanderings, and bitterness. Life can taste bitter, and we hurt, and we react against that bitterness. It's not always rosy. And I love cheerful people. I need them. I love to be around them. I love the, those people brimming full of optimism that seems all the ways to spill out. I need to be around those people. I can tend to be a realist, tipping toward pessimism at times, and I love being around those positive people. But here, Jeremiah said, the, the only thing I can focus on, and these people are captured by, is wormwood, just the bitterness of what we are going through. Look at verse 54. And some of us indeed feel like 2020 just stuck us on a plank and waterboarded us. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I am lost. This is a notion of being cut off. You say, what's going on with Jeremiah? Well, it sounds like he lived through something like 2020. Wasn't that a mess? Now, secondly, life's battle is won or lost in the arena of our minds. My soul, verse 20 through 25, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. What he thought about affected his spirit. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Life's battle is won or lost in the arena of our minds. It is said that golf is a game of the mind. That the best players of golf are people who's, who steward their minds well in the midst of golf. They have a short memory. They don't get stuck on a bad shot that they made. They just forget about it and keep going. They don't savor unduly the great epics, heights, and forget that we have to face the next thing in front of us and we can't live forever 
on the mountaintop of what just happened because the next shot presents itself and it's on to what is next. It's those with a steely mind and a sharp resolve who are the best kind of golfers. I would say that life imitates golf at that point or golf imitates life in that those who steward their minds the best are in the best position to battle in the midst of life's difficulties. Notice the impact of the themes that we set before our minds have. By the way, what's before your mind this morning? What are the grand themes before your mind this morning? What have you set before your mind that you are focusing on that is controlling your spirit and shaping your perspective on living? Now let's get two categories out here under this second point. Life's battle is won or lost in the arena of our mind first. We must discipline our mind to focus on hope. Look at verses 17 and 18, verse 21 and 24. When you look at verses 17 and 18, which I've read to you and commented on, this is a pilgrim who becomes convinced there is no hope. The calculus changes. They become convinced of other things when they set their mind on other things. The calculus changes with the change of their mindset, their thinking patterns. Verse 21, this I call to mind. What happens? Therefore, I have hope. By the way, there's also a big healthy dose of self-talk here. And this is no psychological mumbo-jumbo speech. But notice what he's telling himself. By the way, what do you tell yourself? We all talk to ourselves. Don't look at me like that. Here's what he says when he talks to himself. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. What do you tell yourself? What self-coaching do we have? Says my soul. What does your soul say? The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will have hope in him. What do we say to ourselves about what is true? that we can count on every day that we face in this new year. Now notice verse 24, the wellspring of our hope is the Lord who is our portion. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. What? The Lord is my portion. That's what he's calling to mind. I have hope in him. Those two words are very important. Hope springs from and is sourced in him alone. By the way, what is your portion in life? Your health? Your wealth? American politics? Your career? Your family? Your hobby? What is your portion? My hope is in him, he says. Hope is a matter of what we're looking at and what we're counting upon. What are you looking at? What are you counting on? One of the things 2020 did is it called our idols out. And there they stood, stark naked. And all of our experience asked them, are you any good at delivering on what we just went through? This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It wasn't the Standard & Poor's Index or the Dow Jones. It wasn't whose sports team just won. It wasn't how healthy we all are. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Now, 
second category, we need to set the adequacy of God before our minds. You say, Eric, what's going on in verse 22, 23, 24, and 25? What Jeremiah does is he, he clears out all the space in his mind, and he says, I am going to take the adequacy of God, and I'm going to set it right here. And mind, this is what we're going to look at. It's amazing what happens to our disposition when we're looking at the adequacy of God. By the way, it's amazing what happens to our disposition when we are looking to something other than the adequacy of God to provide adequacies in life because we're looking in the wrong direction. We need to set the adequacy of God before our minds. This is about taking every thought captive, wrestling down every high thought that would throw itself up against the knowledge of God. This is about renewing our minds so we can understand what the will of God is. Jonathan Edwards, a colonial preacher, said, True weanedness from this world doesn't consist in being beat off from the world by the affliction of it, but of being drawn off by the sight of something better. Maybe the affliction beat you away at least three quarters of an inch from the idols that we were trusting in before. But let us find in the adequacy of God that which gives rest to our spirit. The future is as bright as the adequacy of God. Well, there's nothing inadequate about him. Now, the, the reader asks in verse 21, but this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. It's like, well, what did he call to mind? What is the antecedent to this? What is he talking about? What was he thinking about? Three affirmations here capture his thought. And before we start looking at them, don't miss the fact that he uses these unequivocal terms. He uses the term never twice in verse 22. He uses the term every once in verse 23. Three affirmations. Affirmation number one, God's love is unceasing in its flow toward us. It's unceasing. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This is the beautiful term for loyal love in the Old Testament. It's the Gomer word. He had loyal love for an unfaithful wife. God told the prophet as an example to the nation to go marry an unfaithful woman who was a prostitute. His heart was broken a million times, but he pursued her in faithful love. This is the big word for in Hosea, loyal love, the love that will not let us go. Do you realize that God sticks with his people, that every day in 2021 we can count on the loyal love of God? Notice the first never shows up there. It never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God sticks with us, a love that will not let us go. My brother-in-law, when his grandparents were living, they lived in Oil Springs, Kentucky, over in eastern Kentucky someplace. They lived up a holler. And they sat on a mother load of, aptly named Oil Springs, they sat on a mother load of natural gas. In fact, it would jet out of the ground. I mean, it was odd. It's a wonder that long ago the house was not blown to kingdom come. Now, this story makes no sense unless you were there and realized it, but it was naturally available, easily tapped at such pressures that it was hard to harness. 
and you had to burn it off so quickly and at a level, if you were going to use it, and there locally, they didn't need Duke Energy. They tapped the ground, hooked up this mechanism to send it through a heat generator, and they generated their heat through the winter with natural gas. But it had to burn at such a rate in the crude way that it was harvested that in the winter, you kept the screen door then. And you just left the front door open and you left the windows open because it had to burn so hot and at such a level in its unceasing cascade out of the ground that it was the only way to keep old grandma from being blown to glory. That's a lot of provision. I want you to know that we are sitting on a mother load of loving kindness. That all year long, we don't even have governors to hold back what's available to us. That's his point. Don't miss when he makes it. It's amazing. He's making it in the funeral. Secondly, God's mercies are unending and they're moved toward us. I don't know what 2021 is going to hold. Yeah, even It's amazing to preach this morning because I, I look at you, I think of, things here's Jonathan whose father just died and he sits up there with if it's anything like my heart after my dad died with a sad heart we love you we love the Adams we're praying for you now you know of God's comfort and uh, you know s some of us come in we got medical things right out in front of us going to be looking at hurdles to get over and stuff to negotiate and uh, who knows about outcomes that that's isn't that all of 2021 well in that Goodness and mercy are going to be following us around. And that's what he's talking about here. Mercies. They are new every morning. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Mercy keeps us from what we deserve. This is one of my favorite words in all the Old Testament. It's the word that the Hebrews used anatomically for the womb. That how a fetus is cared for by our great creator God in the womb. That's this word. And they say, let's pick out that word for mercy. That every provision that the womb by God's creation provides for the fetus and sustenance. That's mercy. Mercy, of course, keeps us from what we do deserve. And here he is talking about mercy. You know what he says about mercy? He says... It's unending. He says, it never comes to an end. It's new every morning. Remember Caleb and I, our oldest son, went to a sporting event that half the world went to. And we figured, figured out a kiosk of food that we were going to hit. And we thought, oh, man, that would be good. The line's long, but it'll be worth it because that's good food. And we waited and waited and waited and waited. And finally, 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 finally got up there. And we got up there and... We would like, and they said, you know, we're really sorry. We've run out of food. And Caleb and I were thinking, are you kidding me? We just, uh, all this time, we got up here. You, you don't have any food? Yeah, sorry. We have run out of food. I want you to know whatever 2021 holds, nobody will ever belly up to the dispenser of mercy and have somebody look at us and say, you know what, we're, 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 we're out of mercy today. No, it's, it's, it's unending. My buddy lives in a rural place in Ohio, West Liberty, Ohio. There's a candy store there, Marie's Candy, and they send candy all over America. Uh, back a couple generations ago, 
uh, farmer went down and his wife was trying to figure out how they're going to survive and she started making candy and a couple generations later it is quite an operation, Marie's Candy. My buddy lives right next to it and a family member, his friend Shannon lives just two doors down from him. I want you to know that every morning before that store opens they're making these delightful candies every day. I mean, it's a perpetual assembly line of chocolate glory coming off there at uh, Marie's. If you like that stuff, it's amazing. And whenever I go to my friend's house, invariably, there it sits, another box of Marie's candies. Because uh, Shannon's so generous, he'll walk by, here, Frank, here's, here's some more. He'll give him bags of this stuff. In fact, if you go over there, he'll, he'll, he'll give you some. Every morning, it's brand new. It's as if Marie's is never going to run out. Think of it. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Long before Henry Ford ever conceived the assembly line and those old Ford automobiles jumped off the line and got into circulation, God created an unending assembly of mercy that every morning, it was there this morning when you got up, it'll be there every morning that we experience life in this year. That's about the adequacy of God being set before our minds. What are you setting before your mind? What am I setting before mine? Finally, God's faithfulness is constant, durable, and predictable. Here Jeremiah is describing the character of God and his adequacy to the people of God, and he just can't stand it because he's talking about God, and then suddenly, in an ejaculatory way, he just screams out to God, great is your faithfulness. He just overcome with the thought that this adequate God is so faithful, he's so reliable, this is so enduring, this is durable, this is what we can count on. He just blurts out, great is your faithfulness, and talks directly to God. There's no greater hope than knowing that God is totally reliable. His faithfulness is affirmed in his loving kindness and his mercy. When all around our soul gives way, he, he, he then is all our hope and stay. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. This is quite a place for the greatest statements about God in all the Old Testament, one could argue, breaks out in the middle of a funeral. Everybody left this funeral encouraged. But notice the stark surroundings, devastation. Jerusalem's a mess. Walt Kaiser said, it's like a pool of light in the midst of the thickest darkness. This chapter rises above all others in the hope and consolation it offers. Even now, in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the solid proof that God still cares for his stricken and suffering people was to be found in the gracious love of the Lord. The startling fact about this announcement is that it's made against one of the bleakest backgrounds in all the Old Testament. It would be if someone had stood up in one of the prison camps of the Third Reich and announced loudly, Great is God's faithfulness! That might seem ludicrous enough to bring the scornful sneer of every destitute soul confined to those barracks. No wonder this phrase, great is thy faithfulness, springs from the page as the greatest word of hope. But it was not sung, as we often sing to him, based on the verse, immediately after a body of believers has just experienced another evidence of God's blessing on their lives. On the contrary, this word came when nothing looked possible, hopeful, worthwhile, or comforting. 
in the face of the direst of adversities, Israel, and we are offered hope. It is a word not about answers to the problem of evil, not a word about circumstances or men or movements. It's not a word about systems of political or even theological beliefs. It's simply a word about our Lord. He is faithful. He is loved. He is gracious. He's full of compassion. He is our inheritance. And therein lies the focal point of the message for this chapter. And because of its position, the whole book as well. There is plenty of grace in our Lord. All is not lost. That even a kernel of the people of God remains is because of the grace and love of God. These attributes come new each day. For his acts of mercy come from his compassion for us. The compassionate love of God can be seen in his faithfulness. Hope then is not a will of the wisp. But it is the solid confidence and an assured certainty because it resides in the Lord who is himself our inheritance. So then the maintenance of our heart is key. Three words that start with R that finish this out. Verse 21, I, I recall this to my mind. That word mind is the Hebrew word for heart. How do we maintain our hearts? Three cues. Number one, repent. Our erring hearts have caused the battle. Do you know why 2020 was so hard for so many? Because they were hoping in everything else other than the adequacy of God. And what a disappointment everything else was in 2020. So we need verse 40 to repent. Let us test and examine our ways and return. That's the great word for repent. Return to the Lord. Verse 42, we have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. We need to deal with this Lord. Let us examine our ways and return. What if the year was designed, what if 2020 was designed by God to show us where the loyalties of our heart actually are? Nothing about God has changed. God is calling us to return to him as we come into 2021. Secondly, refocus. We move our distracted hearts to look into Jesus. Look at verse 41. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. If you have a garage door opener at home, many of them will have a garage door opener eye. It's affixed at the bottom of each of the rails of your garage door. And as long, it's a safety feature designed not to bring the garage down on something that's obstructing the passage. And as long as those eyes stay aligned and the kind of the little laser can hit each other, it'll work. If something obstructs it, it'll stop working. And I'm always kicking mine or hitting it with a lawnmower or something. It's like, well, what's going on with the garage door? You know? So you get it, you got to realign those. And as long as you align them up right, it will work well. That's about refocus. It's about moving our distracted hearts to look at Jesus. 2020 is called our bluff. Hebrews 12, 2. Are we or are we not looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith? What is it that we value? What is it that's important? Who is our master? For whose kingdom are we living? What if the church is coming into 2021 never more dependent upon our Lord than in this moment? That sounds like great things for 2021, does it not? Finally, re-fear. Let me make up a word. Re-fear. Fear with the prefix re. 
cultivate the right kind of fear. Look at verse 57. This is the only time God speaks in the chapter. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, is speaking. You get the verse 57, boom, breaks right in. God speaks. You say, well, what did God say in the midst of this whole thing? You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. As we come into the year, one of the things that Jesus is saying to us is, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 14, 27. But there's also re-fear, and we don't need to fear the circumstances of life, but we need to fear God at a deeper, more supple level. Jesus said, don't fear him who can just take down your body. Fear him who, after you've died, can set you into eternal judgment. That's who you need to fear. Fear God. The way to fearlessness in 2021 is to turn up the rheostat on the fear of the living God. Repent, refocus, refear. Eric, what can we count on in 2021? We can count on the adequacy of God. And for as many days as God shall give us, he's available to us. I want us to pray. And as we go to prayer this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to respond and stand up before I pray. If God has spoken to your heart and you want to say to him, Lord, I hear what you are saying. I give you my fears. Won't you stand up before I pray? If you're here this morning and your idols, what you've been focusing on and what you've been considering has been called out by this year, I want you to stand up before I pray. If God in this message this morning has stirred your heart to be moved to a different place in mind and heart for 2021, I want you to stand before I pray. I'm going to pray using a prayer from John Calvin that's so sweet. Let's pray. Grant Almighty God that as there are none of us who have not continually to contend with many trials and as such in our infirmity that we are ready to succumb under them except that you help us. Oh, grant that we may be sustained by your invincible power and that also when you humble us, we may loathe ourselves on account of our sins and thus perseveringly contend until having gained the victory, we shall give you the glory for your perpetual aid in Christ Jesus our Lord.